0: So I think when I finally get around to titling this episode, I'm probably going to call it The Family Feud. (laughs) But unlike the game show or feuds that you might have with members of your family, this is going to be about a family that lives inside your head. (laughs) And we're not talking about schizophrenia or hallucinations or anything like that we're actually going to be talking about something along the lines of the movie Inside Out. I don't know uh, how many of my listeners um, have watched the movie Inside Out before but it's really really interesting. It's, it's pretty basic but a lot of it's on point. It talks about uh, this girl who had a pretty healthy childhood. I would like to have seen an inside-out done from the standpoint of someone who had gone through a traumatic childhood. That would have been interesting to see. But this particular character, she uh, I think her name was Riley, maybe. Uh, anyway, she had a healthy childhood, and she was an only child, and then her, her parents moved. And the movie was about the emotions that were going on in her brain and how they changed and impacted as she dealt with different um, situations. Now, the main emotions involved, I believe, were joy, sadness, disgust, anger, and fear. Those were the five main emotions that they had in play i don't know why they chose just those but you know they were they're pretty funny watching them interact and and all that kind of thing but while inside out showcases the emotions there's a way of of thinking it's a protocol it's called inner i-n-n-e-r inner family systems and I really like it. And I'm going to explain a little bit about this in this episode. Because inner family systems is more about, I guess you could call it the metaphorical family that you have, that we all have, in our own mind. And it's more than just emotions. It's fa- it's a, like family members. Um, and each, I'm going to call it an entity because... It doesn't have to be human, and I'll explain more of this as we go on, but each entity has earned its membership because of interactions. Each entity has been kind of created, born into this person's mind because of interactions, because of messages and or traumas that were experienced along the way. A lot of the characters in the family were created during childhood. They're a lot stronger, those. But more can be created along the way. Now, these entities, these characters, I guess the word character sounds better than entities. (laughs) We'll call them characters from now on. These characters are... Somewhat like kids that will capsize our ship if they're not managed. So the question is, how does that happen? The cause of a lot of the the triggers, a lot of these characters that are inside our minds get triggered because of old information. So let me give you, I know at this point it's sounding kind of confusing. I I promise I'll, I'll explain it all and bring it around. But I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in a boardroom. And I'll bring this example up later and flesh it out a little bit. But if you were in a boardroom and you were the CEO and you look down your shiny boardroom table at all of the VPs that lined the sides of the table and they're all representing different departments and they're presenting information that you as a CEO have to take that information and use it to make some decisions about the company. And your job is to keep the company running well and expanding and paying bills and being very healthy. Well, if your vice president's present you with information that is 10, 20 years old, how do you think that will impact the company? If they are presenting data, numbers to you, but those numbers are 20 years old and you're making decisions for the for the company based on those numbers, how do you think that's going to impact your company? Mm-hmm exactly so that's what we end up doing when we have these characters in our minds in our inner family that were created 20 years ago and we get triggered by something that's happening the here and the now and it causes some of these characters to chime in and start sort of driving the ship so to say it doesn't Work well. So let's talk about the characters first of all. Let me give you one example. Personally, I I learn much better with examples. So I talked to an individual one time, this was many, many, many years ago, and he was sharing with me that uh, he had a character in his mind that he called the bully, that every time he wanted to do something new, that he was trying to venture out and uh, kind of test the waters and try something new, that this particular character would chime in and start saying things like, what are you doing? You can't do that. You're not smart enough to do that. You're an idiot. You're gonna fail. You might as well just stop before you even start. Because you're going to fail and you're going to embarrass yourself and everybody around you. So when he started working with some interfamily family systems and named this particular character, and I'll, and I'll take you through that here in just a few minutes, he named this character the bully. Well, once he started listening to a lot of the messages that the bully was conveying to him, he started realizing that the messages were really messages that he heard from his dad when he was growing up. And so that's sort of how these characters get created. And it doesn't have to be just negative by any means. Um, You can have different characters that, that, well, they represent positive experiences. Um, You know, there could be a voice that says, you can do it. You've, You've got this, you know. If you're like most people, you've had a mixture of encouraging and discouraging messages sent your way and some positive experiences and also some traumas as well. So basically, anyone in your inner family system has earned a right to be there because of your own experiences, like I said earlier. Sometimes you know who they are and sometimes you don't. And that's okay. Okay. You don't have to know where the voice came from. If you do, that's fine. It's a nice insight, but you don't necessarily have to. So the first thing that's helpful to do as you're trying to manage these voices and these these characters is to imagine a place. You need a place to be. I had mentioned a boardroom earlier, and... For a long time, I gave this as an example to my patients to kind of give them sort of like a, a starting example of a place, because I like the reason why I like the boardroom, and I have several other examples that I'll that I'll give you as well, because in the boardroom you are the CEO, and. In your mind, you're the one that's in charge. And you're going to have these different characters in your head. You're going to have these different voices in your head. And they're going to be there, but that doesn't mean they're in charge unless you allow them to be in charge. If you are not in the CEO chair, one of them will be. And so I like the boardroom because it has a very definite place for the CEO to sit at the head of the table. And you have that long, shiny table that I talked about earlier. And all of the VPs sitting along the side are the different characters. You know, one character can be a teacher that you had in second grade that was very encouraging to you when you were trying to do a science project and you were feeling very discouraged and she just came alongside you and just really lifted you up and built you up and said, you can do this, just keep at it, don't give up. And so she might be a voice that you hear in times like that, which would be fantastic. Uh, You might have a, a similar character like the bully that I mentioned earlier, that every time you try to start something new, there's that voice that pipes in that tells you don't even start it. You're too stupid. You can't do it. What I'm trying to point out to you is that these are individual messages, individual characters in your mind. They are not you. They don't make up who you are. You're the one in charge. These are individual voices and messages, different characters that you can manage. Now, one thing that's hard to do for people is to accept all of the voices because they're all part of who you are. They're not in charge. They're not supposed to be. Now, people that are emotionally immature or dysfunctional or whatever, I actually had one person tell me, I said, well, what's going on in your boardroom? And she says, I'll tell you what, I'm not in the CEO chair. And I said, okay, well, where are you? And she goes, I'm under the table. (laughs) So that's how she felt. She felt like all those different messages that she had been sent all those years and all those experiences, the characters that had been created in her head had taken over. And she did not feel like she was in charge. And so this is about learning the dynamics of that of what's going on in there and slowly being able to take on that authority that mantle of authority to be able to sit in the ceo ceo chair and feel like that that's your seat that you earned it that n- none of these other characters although they are a part of you should not be in the ceo chair some other places environments um to think about would be uh, a classroom. You can imagine a classroom full of these characters and they're all sitting in their desks or doing whatever, and you are the teacher in the front of the classroom. And just like how a teacher runs a classroom, she appreciates her students for the most part, you know wants them to do well, um, but she has to be the one in charge. She can't let one of the students come up and run the classroom. That doesn't end well. And usually in a classroom, there's some sense of reward and punishment, um, and, and I'll get to that here in a few minutes, why that's important. So that's, that's another uh, possible location. Another location could be like a ball field or something. Um, you notice I'm giving you groups where there's one person who's identified as being in charge, and then there's the group that they're supposed to manage. So like on a ball field, you can have like a ball team, and you can imagine you're your location with, with your characters and your inner family are on a baseball diamond or on a football field. If You could imagine it's a, some kind of bowling league or, or whatever the case may be. Some, somebody else might decide they want theirs to be in a warehouse. And they, they're the foreman of what's going on in the warehouse. And they have workers that they're in charge of managing. So it's important to get a mental image and I you notice that I do speak a lot in visual images and you'll notice the more episodes of mine that you listen to you'll kind of understand that about me not only am I a visual learner but mental imagery is very important in managing what's going on mentally Um, and for someone that might say well Dana that's ridiculous you know I mean, all these little pictures that I have in my head or imagining this or imagining that, that doesn't mean it's really happening. Okay, well, realistically, in reality, out here, outside, which you can see outside of you, no. But two things. One, you live not in your home. You live not at an address. Where you live is in your head that is your residence in your head and it will be with you everywhere you go so that's something to keep in mind something else that's also true is the mental images let me give you an example like when you go to watch movies like back before covid when We could go to the movie theaters without fear of getting some uh, terrible disease from the pandemic when movies are a wonderful thing to do. And hopefully we will get back to that because that's one of my favorite things to do in all the world. I love that escape is going to the movies. But anyway, so when you're in the movie theater and you're looking at the screen and let's say you're watching a, a horror film or some kind of really scary, scary movie. And it's, it's right in the middle of the movie and, and it's just, it's so terrifying. Your heart is pounding and you're probably like, if you're with someone else, you've probably grabbed him by the shoulder and pulled him up close to you or you might have your hands smacked up against your eyeballs just telling the person next to you, just tell me what happens, just tell me what happens because I can't watch it. Well, technically, all you're doing is you're sitting in a chair looking at a screen with a bunch of pixels on it realistically that's all you're doing but do you see how your body is responding your heart rate is beating out of your chest you won't even look at the screen all that emotion you feel in your body all that all those physical somatic sensations that you feel in your body is because of your mental imagery because of your imagination none of those things that you're looking on the screen is actually happening it's your imagination, it's the pixels, it's what it represents to you, it's the mental images that are being created in your mind. So that's why I use mental images a lot. And also, I think I covered this in a previous episode, I'm getting to the point now I've done so many of these, I can't remember what I've covered, but I'm pretty sure I've covered animal brain before. And the animal brain is the part of your brain, the amygdala and the limbic system that holds trauma. Uh, That gets triggered in us. The animal brain does not really speak in logic. In rational terms. It doesn't understand that. But it does respond to mental images. It does respond to experiences. And so that's why I use mental image a lot. And so when we're talking about your inner family system. And we're using these examples of a boardroom or a ball field or a classroom or a warehouse or whatever, Uh, imagining a person in charge, imagining these different characters that you have. These are mental images and they are impactful. They make a difference. When you can imagine it in your mind and especially when you have a name for your characters, It makes it a whole lot easier for you to understand what's going on in there and to manage it. So the names, like the one man that I told you earlier that named one of his The Bully, um, the names are important because imagine if you were a teacher in a classroom but you didn't know your students' names. You need to have a visual image of your characters and also... Come up with a name, something that really resonates with you, that feels true. And also what you can do in the classroom, in the boardroom. You can, if you can imagine it, like I said a few minutes ago, it can be done. Like, for example, let's say the guy that I mentioned earlier who has one of his characters is the bully. Let's say he was trying to uh, launch a new project at work. And out comes the bully. Oh, you can't do that. What makes you think you can do that? You better just stop right now, blah, blah, blah. So in his mind, he recognizes the bully as one of the characters in his inner family. He recognizes it. And he imagines that he goes over to the bully and he has a, in his hand, there's a big thing here of masking tape, a big roll of... Duct tape, actually, not masking tape. A big roll of duct tape. And he imagines that he walks up to the bully and he wraps that duct tape all around his mouth. Around the back of his head, around his mouth. Around the back of his head, around his mouth. And he goes around about five times. Until he can see the bully sitting there in the chair with his eyes as big as dinner plates, but he can't say a word. And then he just goes on about his business. It makes a difference you need to try this. I can give you a personal example. So I didn't know that apparently I have some kind of claustrophobia. I mean, who knew, right? Until um, I had to have an MRI of my head. And did you know, for those of you who've never had an MRI of your head, that they pull you head first? into what feels like a coffin. Now, I've noticed because I've had MRIs done in about three different hospitals now, sometimes the machinery is white, which is very nice. Sometimes it's a little; the hole is a little bit larger, which is nice. But the first one I went into, the machinery was black and the hole was narrow. Now, keep in mind, I didn't know that I had claustrophobia so and something else that's nice too to think about when you have an MRI of your head they put something called a coil they snap it down on your head you're you're you are laid out on your back and then they have this thing that they snap over your face called a coil so you won't move and when just just hearing that snapping sound where it snaps you down to the table, already I could feel my heart start start pumping. But I didn't know really what was happening, okay? So, and they gave me this little this little um, squeezy thing, this little bulb that I could squeeze that if I needed to be let out of the machine. Well, I'm like, well, okay, whatever. And so they pulled me in there, and I'm telling you, no sooner I got halfway in there, and I'm, I'm squeezing that bulb. And I was about to come off of that thing. And I had never experienced that before in my life. And I'm not what you would call a typically anxious person. I just don't view things that way. And it threw me for a loop because clearly I was not in any danger, logically. Clearly they were not trying to hurt me. Nobody was going to hurt me. I was not in any danger. No one was going to put me in any pain. I knew this all logically. And yet... That animal part of my brain did not give a shit. It was reacting. And I, I about crawled out of, that, out of that thing three different times. And they gave me the look where they looked down at you and they said, Mrs. Skaggs, you need to get yourself together or you are going to have to reschedule at another facility with the tone and the look. And I didn't know what was happening to me. I had never had panic in my life. So I managed to gut my way through that. But something was born inside of me. That experience birthed a new character in my inner family. And what it, it took me a while to figure out what it was. But then I finally figured it out. It birthed a velociraptor in my inner family because that's what panic felt like to me, a velociraptor. It was scary, and it was fast, and it was conniving. I'm trying to think of the, uh, like, Jurassic Park. Like, remember the velociraptors from Jurassic Park? Whew! So I had to figure out what in the world I was going to do with this velociraptor that was in my inner family now, okay? So I, at that time, I was imagining that my inner family was all in a boardroom, well, a velociraptor's not going to sit in a chair. It was just all around that place, just causing all kinds of havoc. So I imagined a, a cage that was shaped kind of like a dome that would come down over the velociraptor. But still, that wasn't enough because I could still see the claws of the velociraptor curling over the, the bars of the cage. So then I imagined a white sheet just gently coming down over the top of this dome covering the dome and kind of encouraging the velociraptor to just calm down and go to sleep a lot like um, how you put a sheet or a blanket over an animal a carrier when you're trying to carry them like cats or whatever from one place to the next to kind of calm them down and comfort them so they don't get upset so I imagine that same kind of covering to come down over this dome cage so that not only was the velociraptor relaxed, but I couldn't see it, and I couldn't see those little uh, claws that were curving over the edge of the bars. So this is what I'm talking about, about inner family systems. So it's very, very unique and helpful just to keep in mind, I think I've explained it in full as much as I can for this episode for right now, but if you just keep in mind that we all have this. Whether or not someone's aware of all their characters is irrelevant. They are there, and so the more aware you can be of the characters in your inner family, the more ability you will have to be able to manage them. Now, accepting all of them because they are all a part of you, you know, you don't want to be hateful. I mean, you can, like, do different things, but you don't want to try to uh, oust any of them or kill any of them or anything like that because they're part of you. So accepting them, figuring out who they are and or what they are. Like my Velociraptor, that was not human because panic does not feel human. Not to me. Um, it defied all logic. And so also coming up with where you feel comfortable managing your inner family. For me, the boardroom felt comfortable, but to someone else, they, like I said, they might want to be in a classroom or on a baseball field or a football field or in a warehouse. You do you, okay? You pick a place in your mind that you can easily imagine and that you feel comfortable, that you feel like you would feel Somewhat authoritative there, because you have to learn how to be the one in charge, and then learning what you want to do with each character. If you if you notice that a character is popping up inside your brain, and is, is discouraging you, is it dragging you down, and you need to do something with that voice, like you can do with with this guy did that I told you about that had the duct tape. I had another person that said um, they had their their bully person was shoved into a locker. They imagine lockers at the back of their boardroom that lined the wall, and the other characters in their inner family kind of all stood up and went over there and just pushed that bully into the locker and closed the lock. You can you can do anything. I mean, you can imagine that that you've got a spray bottle of some kind of some kind of mist of something, and you spray them and they they go invisible for a period of time. You could imagine a a trap door that you pull the lever and they, they, they go down a slide all the way to the, to the basement of the building. I mean, you can imagine anything you want. Whatever resonates with you because everybody's different. Everybody imagines different things. But this is just a really fun, uh, effective, wonderful way of managing this inner family that we have. And so I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you're able to enjoy putting it into application in your life. That's why I try to provide things in these episodes that are applicable. Because what's the use of listening to something if you can't apply it and get some use out of it, right? So use it, enjoy it, apply it. Um, if you've heard anything in this episode that's helpful to you, then I would strongly ask and share, ask that you would share it uh, with other people that you feel like it might benefit. Um, share it on social media, however you like to do that. And also, if you have any questions, comments, if you have any particular topics you would like to hear on future episodes, you can go to phoenixandflame.com and click on Contact Me. And I will read your email and um, possibly, you know, put your comments or whatever in future episodes. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And again, this is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.